Love Business with Alan Wick. Hello, this is Alan Wick, and welcome to my show. I've been a business coach for 20 years, focusing on owner-managed businesses. Before that, I spent 25 years as an entrepreneur, founding, scaling up, and ultimately selling a number of businesses nationally and internationally. Some years ago, the late Steve Jobs gave a wonderful speech to students at Stanford University at the end of their studies, and in it, he advised them to stay hungry, stay foolish. I decided to adapt what he said to students then for entrepreneurs now. So instead of stay hungry, stay foolish, I say stay hungry, stay learning. In this show, I interview experienced entrepreneurs, hearing their success stories, and also discussing their mistakes and learnings as they continue along their business journey. If you have a question or a comment, you can call us on 01342 or you can email lovebusiness at alanwick.com. I'm also proud to say that my show is sponsored by Magus Wealth. There's a lot involved in selling a business, and so having good advisors on your side is essential. The earlier you start the process and surround yourself with the right team, the better. Working with the right advisors will add significant value to the process. So, if you're thinking about exiting or selling your business, speak to Magus Wealth today. And for today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Alan Stevens. So I'm delighted to welcome Alan Stevens to my show. Hi, Alan. How are you doing today? Pretty good, Alan. And it's great to talk to somebody who's got the same name and spells their name the same way. It, it's the correct spelling, as I like to tell everyone. A-L-A-N, that is the proper way to do it. It is. Anything with two L's is a surname, as far as I'm concerned, especially if it's got E in the name. Exactly. And as I used to say to everybody, uh, my family wasn't rich enough for two L's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they budgeted on one L. That's very good, very good, uh, careful uh, control of money. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> so let's let's start off with um, if you could explain to the listeners what it is you do, what your business is, and so on. Well, as a profiling and communication specialist, what I do is I help people to read other people to create stronger and better relationships. Because at the end of the day, everything we do in life, in life is based on the relationships that we have. If we can't build a relationship, we can't uh, build a family, we can't build a community, we certainly can't build a business. And so it's very necessary to be able to recognise people. Now, you can ask people questions, but what happens when somebody just walks through the door? How do you make that instant connection with them? And so what I do is I teach people how to look at somebody and know from their facial features straight away that person's personality not their character but how they're likely to behave what how to talk to them in the right way so you can make a connection with them and then once you've got that you now know how to change the way you like to be spoken to to match the way the other person needs to be spoken to and then you've got the feedback of micro expressions and body languages you know the micro expressions those little twitches on the face that happen when something is happens around somebody in that unconscious instance person will react and face will give away uh, an expression telling you exactly what they're feeling. And you put that together, you pretty much work out someone's character very quickly as well. And so uh, that's how I uh, work with the profiling. And I teach 
everything from large corporations through to parents and school teachers and even couples on how to improve the relationship that they have to find the right partner. Once you've got that partner, how do you keep that partner? And then when your children are growing up, know how to connect with them in the way that they need to be spoken to so that you can guide them the best. Because at the end of the day, we are neither sculptors or carpenters. Our job is not to turn our children into something. We are gardeners. Our job is to nurture them so they become the best version of themselves. And to do that, we need to be able to connect with them and speak to them in the way that they need us to talk to them so that they can understand us and we can guide them along. And then in business, how to build your relationships in the business. And also, how do you read your clients so that you can better uh, connect with them, work out where their buying motives are straight away, be able to uncover what's really important to them so that you're not selling to them, but they are buying from you because you build that relationship. No like and trust, as they say. If you don't have that, you're not going to be able to show that person your product or service and you're going to miss out altogether. And so you sound like you work with both um, in business and in personal uh, relationships as well. Which is your main focus, would you say? Well, my, the area I really love working in, but it's certainly not going to be the, the big money spinner, is going to be working with or is working with parents and with school teachers because there's a lot of kids that are falling through the cracks. And let's face it, they are our future. Uh, so we were able to connect with them better than we're going to be able to create a better society. Where I do make my money is working with corporates. But working with individuals and families is definitely my favourite. But, of course, for business-wise, you know, show me a corporate and I can uh, turn their organisation around in helping them build their relationships so I can then pass them on to the right coaches that take them to the next level again. So can you give some examples um, of companies you work with, obviously preserving confidentiality and maybe how it worked and and then what the benefits were for that for that particular company. Just one or two examples would be really helpful. Okay, well, a couple of my clients have been to one um, joint venture was Disney Films and Gillette back in 2016 in Pinewood Studios in London. Uh, it was all about their um, uh, joint venture with uh, Gillette had brought out a new razor and... Uh, now, Disney Films had taken over Lucas Films and they were uh, launching the new outfits for the Rogue One players. So my job was to go over to be interviewed by the world's ple- uh, press to explain the stories the face tells before you utter a single uh, word. So that with Gillette, with the grooming, how you could change your appearance and how that would impact on other people, their response towards you, and how you could use that to build better connections. Then I've worked with the uh, Federal Police and the Tax Office here in Australia uh, helping them to understand what makes people tick so that they could build better relationships and read people more effectively. But then working in the middle of COVID, I had one gentleman who came to me. He was a, a software provider. His client had uh, just finished a contract. His client had refused to pay the full amount. He was using COVID as an excuse, saying he was money poor, and he wanted a $50,000 discount on the service. At the same time, he'd cancelled his next project, saying, I can't go ahead because I haven't got the money. Well, he showed me uh, the other, his client's uh, face. We had a look at that and I told him how to reconnect with him because the message he was going to send him looking for the extra money was going to fall flat. Told him how to actually connect with this person, but also point out to him that because of the level of confidence, the level of authoritativeness that this person had wanting to be in charge, 
I said, we'll meet him at that level and point out to him that it was a great idea that he postponed the next uh, event or the next project simply because it gave them time to think about it and bring it together better. So it'd be uh, by the time the COVID was over, which we expected was last Christmas, that uh, he would be leading the market because he'd be in front of all these competitors, which immediately meant big dollars to him. So straight away, and then he thought, also my client said, well, you know that we were able to do in the first contract because of the relationship we had, and he emphasised the relationship. He didn't have to ask for the extra $50,000 or the rest of the money. It was volunteered. And at the same, at the same time, let's start the, uh, the, pro, the next project as well because it was all about the faith level. But because he talked to him at the right level, he made that connection. And that's what it comes down to. It doesn't matter you know, the service or the product you uh, provide. You've got to make that personal connection. You've got to build that trust and also then show what's in it for the other person. What are they going to gain if they come and work with you? Yeah. And you, you've mentioned that the, the um, facial tics and so on and micro, what do they call micro movements? Is that? Micro, micro expressions. Micro expressions. Um, now, this may be a bit challenging over radio, but can you explain a little bit how this works? Give a, um, listeners a, a, some understanding of how your techniques work to be able to do that. Well, everything we feel inside, we express outwardly. And we, uh, we always operate on our unconscious mind first. This is our survival. If something we saw out the corner of our eye, we react straight away. This goes back to tribal times. We see something rolled up on the ground or moves down near our feet. We jump straight away because it's all about surviving. So in that moment, unconsciously, we react. But then we have a look and we notice that it's only a rolled up uh, hose, for instance. There's nothing threatening. And then the expression, the, uh, what we're putting in our body language and what's on our face will disappear. And so that's why I call a micro expression. It's as fast as a fifth of a second down to one twenty-fifth of a second. And people go, well, it's faster than a click of the fingers. And people go, well, how do you read that? Well, I can tell you now everybody is reading them. Because I'll just go back a little bit, first of all, and just explain this, that the facial features and facial expressions, we need those for our survival. We need to be able to recognise somebody. Is that a friend? Is that a foe? At the same time, if they are somebody we shouldn't be around, what expression are they feeling? What's their emotions? And the micro expressions come in there. If they're looking angry and they're somebody we shouldn't be around, hey, get out of there quickly. If it's somebody who's a friend and they're also looking angry, we might step closer and go, okay, how can we help you? What's going on here? So we might be walking towards them instead of moving away from them. So we need this as a combination to be able to just communicate and be able to survive. This goes right back to tribal times. So once you've got those in place, you're able to read that. So micro expression, well, the face has got 43 muscles. It can pull over 10,000 expressions. There's 3,000 expressions that Paul Ekman and his team back in, uh, since 1969, when he started his research into this, they mapped those and they've, they've worked out which muscles move for each of those expressions. Fantastic book out there that you can read called FACTS, Facial Action Coding System, FACS, which is hundreds of pages of, um, uh, and each page has got uh, videos and other things embedded in them on the electronic version. It's hundreds of hours of study you can do. Or, as uh, Paul pro uh, proved, there are seven expressions which are universal. There's amber, anger, contempt, disgust, happiness, sadness, fear, and surprise. If you feel any one of those emotions, you'll have the corresponding expression on your face. 
it doesn't matter if you've been born in a tribal village or a capital city, or even if you've been blind from birth, if you feel one of those emotions, you will have that expression on your face. So if you feel anger, you're going to have anger on your face. Now, the, just, the argument since, um, what was it, uh, 1872, I think, when Charles uh, Darwin travelled the world, he said he couldn't understand what people were saying in different countries, but he could understand their emotions. And so he knew whether it was a safe place to be or not safe. And for the next 95 years, until Paul and others started their research around about 1969, all the anthropologists said, no, that's all rubbish. He's talking about uh, that being nature, but it's really what he's talking about. This is, this is nurture. This is culture. Well, the reason that you get angry and the reason I get angry might be completely two different reasons. But the muscles that operate in our face when either of us are angry are the same muscles and the same uh, expression appears on our face. So the cause of it can be um, uh, uh, cultural due to our environment, the way we've been brought up, et cetera, what triggers that emotion. But the emotion itself is universal. And so out of all the other expressions, you learn those seven and you can see those, that little twitch in the face. And the best way that I learned how to read those was I watched, I did a course, and in that course, we listened to somebody who was speaking, um, they were Dutch, and they were both speaking in their native language. It was a, a woman interviewing, a journalist interviewing a businessman, and we were asked whether we trusted uh, the businessman or not. Now, the room at the time was full of uh, police officers and myself and a, a, an IT specialist. And the only ones that said they wouldn't trust him was me and the IT specialist. All the police said they would. Uh, several days later, we finished that training and we watched the video again. Again, we still couldn't understand the language. But now, because we've been taught to look for the expressions, all the police turned around and said, no, we wouldn't trust him either. And the facts came out that he was a businessman who had embezzled $100 million in a deal. And he was being interviewed about this. So... The, the, our minds are fast enough to pick it up. But the whole thing is because we're taking in so much other information, we can only, we take in too many bits of information a second, but we process it and we only have about 134 bits that we process. We distort, we generalise and delete. It depends on where our focus is, it is what we take in. So if you're not used to focusing on someone's uh, facial expressions, their body language, and you're focusing on the words, of course you're going to miss the things. They can make it sound okay, but here's a question for yourself, Alan, and for everybody else who's listening to this. How often have you been listening to somebody and everything sounded fine, but you had that gut feeling something was wrong? Oh, yeah, often. Like guaranteed yeah. you've yeah. picked up the expressions and the body yeah. language that have told you something is not congruent here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this is where they come in. So the more that you focus on the, the actual uh, movement itself, the body language and expressions, you'll get more of the truth. In communications, words are worth 7%. They're equally important to the body language, which is 55, and the tone of voice, which is 38%. They're equally important, but the nonverbals have more information in them. So the value that the body language and expressions give you is far greater than the words themselves. Because all you have to do is take a sentence. If I said, I didn't say he stole the money, and I said that as a flat, it has one meaning. But if I said, I didn't say he stole the money, it's talking about me. I wasn't the one who said it. Somebody else did. I didn't say he sold the money. I could have inferred it. I could have written it. So the word changes depending on the inflection. And so in uh, what I do now, if I'm watching video, someone says to me, oh, can you have a look at uh, this uh, video and tell me what's going on? 
You know, are they telling the truth or whatever? I'll turn the audio off and listen, watch it a couple of times, pick up all the sudden movement changes, oh, something went on there. Then when I do play it back and I'm listening to the uh, the, the words, I go, oh, yeah, lying through their teeth. Or no, they, you know, they actually meant what they said. I recently uh, was asked to um, profile uh, our Premier who had just resigned. And all the way through it, uh, yeah, always, very much in uh, when she was talking about how she felt about the population, what she hoped for New South Wales and everything else here in Australia was all spot on. But the two times she talked about her uh, competition, of the her replacement, and she was saying, you know, that she had full faith in them, her uh, body language was saying, no, she didn't have any faith in them. So she knows she's the best person for the job. But because, I don't know if you heard about it, because of um, uh, our investigation group over here, she'd been involved in a conversation on the phone which had been recorded and it was a politician who was doing the wrong thing and she didn't report it. Mm. And so she's been ousted out of that role of being our Premier. Mm. But in the conversation where she's talking about what she's done, what she wanted for the state, what she thought of the people, all of it was spot on. But those two little segments talking about the people who were going to take over from her and where they, they'd be able to take us into the future quite adequately, her, conversa- her uh, body language and everything was saying, no, they won't. Interesting. And the, given the, the, the nature of my show, Alan, that, that, that it's aimed very much at, at, um, at business owners who are listening, I'm just wondering of its application in business. I can think of conversations that we've probably all had with potential partners, with, and, mm. and I'm using partner in, in, the, in the widest possible sense of um, people we might want to do business with, whether it's a supplier or interviewing employees or checking out clients and knowing whether or not we can work with them. I'm wondering how can people learn this if they're interested and think, oh, this will give me an extra sense that I didn't have before. What would be their next steps in uh, in this area? Yeah, well, I have a, um, a short, uh, very inexpensive online course where they can uh, you know, watch me pulling the expressions and talking about them and how they actually operate, and then they can go away and practice that. There, uh, Paul Ekman is uh, one of the world authorities on the micro-expressions, and he runs the Paul Ekman Group in America. He's also uh, one of his counterparts, uh, David Matsumoto, who used to work with him, also runs his own organisation called Humantel. Both of them have some brilliant online uh, resources where you can watch faces and then push the button tell, you know, and say whether it was, uh, what expression it was, et cetera. And you can practice with those. I haven't gone to that level of reduplicating that because they've done it beautifully. So I prefer to send my clients to go and go to their two platforms and use their services. But I always say to people, my short course gives them a bit of an introduction and then go away and record um, or even watch on YouTube interviews with people when politicians are speaking. And I know there's an old saying that, you know, a bit of a joke that, you know, how do you tell if a politician's lying or well, their lips are moving? And uh, But you'll find that at what point in the conversation was that true? That's what you'll start to get when you record those or you uh, find them on YouTube or on TV, whatever, watch it with the sound off, play it a few times, look for changes in body language and expressions, and you'll very quickly start to pick those up. And then you play it back with the sound to get confirmation that, ah, I saw that movement at that point, and yes, their conversation changed. This was a question they were being asked. And you put that into the role. In business, 
with your colleagues, with your employees, et cetera, the more you can read them and connect with them, the more you know what's going on. So I know that a lot of people will use the um, micro expressions as lie detectors. I use it as a truth seeker because people may be not telling you the truth for a number of reasons. Yes, because they're trying to con you and they're trying to rip you off. Or it could be that there's something emotionally going on and they're just embarrassed about bringing it out. Well, if I can read that and I know how to then talk to them in the way they need to be spoken to, I can uncover that and bring it out and then build a stronger relationship with that person. I build loyalty. And with staff, as they say, if you want to grow your organisation, take care of your employees and they'll take care of the business, your clients, because they're the ones who directly work with the clients. If they're not happy, the clients aren't going to be happy. So you learn how to treat them in a way in which you, know, you hire them for their, their attitude and you train them for their skills. You don't do it the other way around. You bring the people in, you make sure you're able to communicate with them in the way that they want to be communicated with. You build the culture and they come in and integrate into the culture of the business. If they feel that they belong, that they contribute, that they have a place and everything else, same as your, your personal partner, they will then love the work they're doing and they'll be very engaged in it. And if they're happy at work, you're going to be making more money. When your staff's not happy and you're micromanaging, you're losing money hand over fist. Yeah, it it um, reminds me of um, the story of Elizabeth Holmes with Theranos. I don't know if you've heard about that in Australia. This this um, woman who built this company on the basis that there was a little black box that could analyze blood samples far faster and with much less blood than conventional medicine. She managed to attract hundreds of millions of dollars of investment. Um, but it was based on a lie. And um, uh, there's a, a court case going on in America at the moment um, where she's being uh, um, prosecuted for fraud and so on. And, and, and it'd be interesting to, if you haven't seen her speaking, she puts on a kind of a, a very deep masculine sounding voice. She's an attractive looking woman and she managed to fool dozens of what you would think are very, very uh, savvy people um, and and into not only coming on her board, put it, putting in lots of money. But what mm. I'm getting at is um, the, the ability to have read her facial expressions for somebody who's trained in this and perhaps then think, oh, there's something not quite right here because she comes across apparently as somebody very, uh, very believable. So there have been uh, two areas there. First of all, excuse me, first of all, in the body language, you'll find that people who talk with the voices up high, we trust them less than somebody who talks with their, their voice down. They slow the rate down. So somebody who's well-trained in body language in that area can fool a lot more people. But as I say, you can fool most of the people some of the time, but you can't fool everybody all of the time. And so... The more skills you've got, you'll be able to pick it up. Now, the idea of uh, being able to recognise the micro expressions of the body language is to then trigger that, hey, something's going on here. How do I now ask questions? But even in the questioning itself, they talk about open and closed questions. But what people realize, forget is that the open questions are really not open questions. They're probing questions, like the why, what, when, where's, and how's, the five W's and the H's, they call it. 
your closed questions are the ones that are eliciting yes and no answers. Now, the first ones are the, are the open questions. And in the open questions, it's all about describe, tell, explain what happened at that point. Now, if somebody wants to give you a story but doesn't want to give you all the truth, they will give you and they'll you know, happily open up with all of that, give you the big picture, but there'll be holes in it. And with the holes, then you start asking the why, what, when, where's and how's. And then they'll tell you a bit more, but you'll start to notice in their body language, they'll start to get more nervous. Now, when somebody gets nervous, if they think they're going to be caught, they will give away uh, the truth. They'll start leaking, as they say, in the face. With a polygraph test, people who don't feel that they can be caught because they're great liars quite often come up with false uh, negatives all the time, whereas somebody who's fearful of being misjudged will come up with false positives. So by taking that away, we're now looking for the expressions and we, look, we realise that somebody who is actually trying to hide something, we can then start asking questions. And if you're asking someone questions, somebody who's telling a lie, you have to start at the beginning to work through to the end. You can't start at the end and go back to where the beginning was. So in asking those questions, not only asking the open questions, you know, explain, tell, describe, then going into the why, what, when, where's and how's, et cetera, and then going into getting into the last little bit and asking the no's, yes and no questions, that's when they really start to get nervous. Well, by this stage, if it also bounced around a bit, go, okay, well, remember you said before and you take them back. Who else was around at that time? Because now they've got to try and build that part of the story up. This is where they start getting confused. And when they start getting confused, that's when the body starts giving away more information. And so there is so much you can actually pick up. More, the, the more you understand this, the more that when you're talking to someone like, you can undercover, uncover it very quickly because people will try and cover things up. But body language, I'll talk, somebody's got their, you know, touching their face, like I'm doing it now, touching my nose, and people go, oh, they're covering up. Well, if I've been talking for a long time, because the nerve endings are so high on the face, and believe it or not, the nose has got erectile tissue in it, that uh, because of that, you know, this is what happens. If somebody's telling a lie, they will get more flustered in the face. Those nerve endings start getting uh, triggered and they'll scratch their nose. But when are they scratching the nose? Is it between having said something to you and they stop and they scratch or are they scratching while they're talking to you? So we're seeing in its right context, but there is so much information. We've got the tone of voice. We've got the uh, pupils in the eyes. You know, if the light hasn't changed, but the pupils are changing in size, we know that there is a level of arousal of one, if they, if they expand, if they go smaller, they're getting fearful. They're pulling back. The blood's moving away from the upper body and going to the feet for flight. The tone of voice, if the, the speed increases, if the pitch goes up, if their breathing in their body goes to their chest and from their stomach, then you know they're starting to get nervous. So you've got all these little indicators, and then you can start asking questions that elicit more of this. And after a while, even the most confident uh, liars will come unstuck. Although I'm um, uh, very much focusing on businesses as a business show, I can't help but ask you, and I've never, never done this on any, any interviews I've done so far, but what about poker players? Have you ever been hired by poker players who want to improve their reading of tells of facial expressions of people around the poker player. I have to ask you that, Alan. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 
<laughs> I've got a lot of people who have asked me not only to be uh, help them with um, their, their role in playing poker, but also be their wingman when they go to the pub and things like that as well. But um, people have asked me, first of all, am I a good poker player? I get so focused on people. I'm too focused on them to be focused on me. So I guarantee my face is leaking things left, right and centre. So the main thing for a poker player, first of all, because when it comes to profiling and connecting with people, to be able to connect with the person, you need to understand who they are. But before you know how to change the way that you like to be spoken to to match the way they need to be spoken to, you need to know yourself first. So the first three rules of um, and tips in reading somebody is know yourself first of all, then be able to read them and then change the way you like to be spoken to to match the way they need to be spoken to. So for a poker player, I'd be saying, well, look, you need to be aware of how much you're giving away to start with. It might be great being able to read them, but if you're already telegraphed to them in advance exactly what you're feeling, you know, their expressions are going to be a little bit more amusement on their face than giving away things. It's the person who's the most nervous who will give away the most. And so you need to make sure as a poker player to stay calm first of all. And then focus on not giving anything away there. Then from there, you watch the other people because now those other people, because they, they're trying to read you and they can't, they will start to even get more nervous and they will start to leak more information. Hence the term poker-faced, right? And the ability to control one's facial expression, literally. Mm. Yeah, so that's the other side of it. So um, fascinating, Alan. Uh, um, and and it, it sounds really um, valuable in terms of business ex- uh, situations of being able to understand people that much better. What got you into this? Let's go back to the beginning of your business. Is there a brand for your business, by the way, or is it Alan Stevens? Is that the brand? Alan Stevens is the brand, mainly because of where things have been going. But um, when anybody asks me that question, they always get a bit of a a giggle from me straight away because why did I become such a great uh, profiler? Because I was so lousy. (laughs) I went through two divorces, a lot of um, relationships, business partners who emptied out the bank. Most of my life, I've always been thrown into the deep end. You know, it all started when I was uh, 23 years old. I was put in charge of men who were all older than me. My second in charge was 38. Another guy on the team had been my senior officer in uh, Sydney before I came to Newcastle, where I it was just 160 kilometres north of uh, Sydney. And uh, so I had to get them on site. And that's where it put, that really started looking at body language, because body language is the thing of the day. Alan Pease, who's probably one of the most renowned uh, worldwide, um, he spent a lot of time in England, he's Australian. He um, uh, was, a, you know, the people, the person that everyone was following. So that was the first thing I started looking at. And then from there, I'd uh, worked with um, being able to uh, read people through psychometric profiling. But in the uh, early 2000s, I was working with a company. They brought me in because none of their students made any money. They were all currency traders. And they had a brilliant instructor. But when people went live, they were losing money very quickly. And I said, well, guys, you're not doing anything about finding out about people's personality. You're telling them what a good trader should be doing, but you don't know who they are. First of all, how do you train them to become a good trader? So I use psychometric profiling then, like Myers-Briggs and DISC and other profiles. But I found that 
especially when they um, went, well, as they're going through the training, but especially when they'd finished their training and went live, they were losing money. And I went, right, they're trying to second guess what type of a personality they are. We need to know what personality they are because when you're stressed, no matter how much practice you put in to operate a certain way differently, you'll always revert back to your old type under pressure. And the more extreme the pressure, the more you're going to move back to your old style. And that's one we needed to know. So we circumvented part of that, first of all, by I designed a trading process where there were checklists that they had to go through and it didn't matter who they were, different parts of that checklist would pull them up on their particular personalities and keep them on track. But I needed a better way of reading people and somebody just said to me one day when I was doing another workshop for a friend of mine, uh, you ever looked at reading faces? Now, my belief is the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I started searching. I found Paul Ekman, first of all, and I found an English lady who's been living in California. Oh, she's 85, 84 now, and she was about 30-something when she went over there, and she worked with the facial features, Naomi Tickle, and uh, Naomi and I have become great friends. I did the course with her while I was uh, training with the Ekman group as well. That's where I brought the two skills together. I'd been working with body language since the 80s, and I'd also had the um, uh, NLP masters that I got in my late 1990s and uh, early 2000s and created rapid trade profiling, which is a process that has now been recognised as unique worldwide. So I took all those different sciences and put them together and turned them into an art form, hence the science and art of reading people. And and from a business perspective, is your model, uh, is it, selling your time is it selling and is it productized how's the business actually run and and how do you find clients and so on well i have a one of the things i realize is that as i said relationships are really important so i have some really great uh, collaborators people who advocate for me that i advocate for them i've created things like profit partners people i talk to the same time every week what's your goals for this week how can i help you what's something i can do for you right now those that are then uh, collaborators, I might meet with less frequently. People who have um, cross-promote. So they'll have posts and other things that events they're running, I'll promote those, I'll promote mine. Uh, online courses so that people can self-pace. But uh, at the top end, I do personal training where it's one-on-one. I also do individual profiles of people because somebody in business might say, well, I've got some new uh, staff I'm looking at, which one's going to be the best for this role? So I can profile them from their faces, from their photographs. It could be a parent who's saying, well, I really want to understand my child. I can profile their children from their faces. And in fact, I've got quite a few parents who are still sending me testimonial videos well after, years and years after. One in particular who still sends them to me 10 years after I worked with her and her son because they're still getting results. And he's turned into a very bright young man. Whereas when he was younger, the schools and the psychologists said he'd never amount to anything because of his level of Asperger's. But uh, they uh, started talking to him the way he needed to be spoken to and all that changed, including reducing his medication. So there's so many areas where this has worked. So first of all, profiles of individuals, online courses, master programs. So they're the three main areas, but the three three main uh, products and services I deliver but the three main areas I work with are individuals and families. Secondly, is in business to build the culture and the loyalty within the organisation, the trust. 
And thirdly, to help the salespeople read their clients more effectively so they can recognise their buying mo uh, motives much faster and negotiate more effectively. And so each one will use all three of those different services. I see, or a combination thereof. So in, the, in those early days, having realised what it was you wanted to do, um, and, and I understand your motivation for wanting to do it from a, a business perspective. Again, how did you know that it would be successful, that it was something that could give you a decent living? Was that was it six months, a year? What was there a particular sale that you made where things came together? You thought, ah, I'm really on to something now. I think it was as um, soon as I'd done my training in, these, in the two skills of the facial features and the facial expressions, I just realised that the power of those and the absolute uh, necessity that we have, because I know that um, uh, in most of the Western world, I know here in Australia, they say that 80% of businesses will be out of business in the first five years. And of those that remain, 80% of those will be out of business in the next five years, so before mm -hmm. 10 years are up. Mm -hmm. We also know that uh, school teachers, 40% uh, of those that do their training here in Australia, won't get into the classroom other than their practical work. Once they finish their course, will never become teachers. And of those that do, 40% of those that remain will be out in the first five years. So we've got a massive turnover and it costs, you know, something like a quarter of a million dollars to train a uh, teacher. And with the number that then are dropping out, it's a massive waste. And a lot of the teachers, not because that uh, they went into a job that was wrong for them. They went into the job because they wanted to make a difference. They, you know, they care about kids. They didn't do it because of the, the long holidays they were going to get and the high pay. Because I think teachers work about 55 hours a week they're talking about here in Australia, which is a long week for anybody. And uh, so they did it because they had a passion. But our education systems around the Western world aren't designed to look after either the children or the teachers. It's all about getting the kids ready for work which is not looking at, well, how do we find the right careers that match the child so they're more effective, so that they're happier in what they do. And when they do go and work for somebody, they fit that job better and the uh, company makes more money. And when they go home, they're happier then and then there's less domestic violence. There's how many things that will come into this. No matter where you fit this into the cycle of life, it impacts all the way through. As I said, relationships are the foundation of everything we do. And so have you kept it relatively steady in terms of the size of your business? Have you thought of expanding and training other people or you wanted to keep to make it very much a solopreneur type approach where you've got your several services that you offer? It cruises along like that. And then maybe one day you'll switch off the lights or what might be uh, the, the, uh, the model? The, the thought of doing that almost sends me to tears. Um, there's another saying that I also live by, and that is what you do for yourself dies with you, but what you do for others and for the community isn't always will be eternal. And my focus now is because I look, the first thing I did was when I started moving this area, I wanted to know who else around the world was doing it. You've got to know your competition. So I started researching and I found some really brilliant uh, profilers. And the first thing I did with them, create a relationship. Yeah, I've interviewed them, they've interviewed me, we've even done some work together, we've trained each other as well. Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that what I'm doing uh, carries on. My focus right now is to create and train my competition. Now, I know some people out there in business will say, you're insane, what are you doing that for? Well, think about it, if 
a lot of people went and did some of my online courses or whatever, and I only taught them to a certain degree, and they go out and they tell everybody they can do all this wonderful stuff, and they don't, then that's detrimental to the clients they have. It also ruins the reputation of what we're doing. So next thing you know, when I'm talking to people, I've got to try and convince them that this stuff works. If they can, all they can see is bad results from other people. So I've got a vested interest in making sure my competition is trained well and is as good as me, if not better than me. Because let's face it, a leader's role is to make themselves redundant by raising other people up to do what they can do and hopefully do it better than they can do it so they can then move on to do something else. Because if you don't, you're stuck in that role you're in. You've created yourself your own little prison. Now, all my life, I'd made myself redundant. I did it in the surf club. I did it in the employment with a, a national telephone carrier when I first started work. I'm doing it at the moment. I want to find the best people, train them up, the ones who are focused on their clients. That's the primary thing. They might want to make money, but if they focus on making money, they probably won't. But if they focus on building strong relationships, helping their clients be really effective, they will then make more money. You know, so when you chase, it's like chasing a fox. You chase a fox, it's going to run. The moment you stop chasing it, it stops. It's the same thing with chasing the return on investment. If you're chasing that all the time and you're focusing on making money, people are going to pick that up and you're not going to make the money. But when you focus on the fact of building a relationship with them and helping them to get what they really want in their, uh, their life, then what you're doing is selling is no longer selling. It's becoming caring. And people don't care how much you know until they care, they find out how much you care. And so the more that you can actually show that, the more they're going to buy from you. So my whole attitude is to find the best people and train them to the highest possible level. And I actually had somebody, a friend asked me a little while ago, they said, well, what happens if you train somebody and they become another Anthony Robbins and they're up on stage and, or Tony Robbins, they're up on stage and they're um, making a fortune. I said, I'm going to be really annoyed if I don't have my seat to their front line when they're speaking, because I'll be then with pen and paper taking notes. Most important thing I've ever learned. Next thing I learn after I know everything. So it's all about, you know, I want to grow myself, I've got to help other people grow. If you help enough people get what they need, you will get what you want. This so is, if, if there's a little sayings that are out there, but when you stop and think about them, they're so damn important and so real. Yeah, and so if anybody listening would like to get involved themselves, not just for their own businesses, but in there may be people listening who are interested in getting trained for this. I'll ask for your URL at the at the end of the show. That's it sounds like there is a, a route to doing that and they could get trained by you and to learn That's those it. skills. Mm. Yeah. yeah I've, I've got a free offer for all your people as well because you know, my website's fairly easy. It's my name.com.au. And we already know how to spell Alan properly. And uh, Stevens is S-T-E-V-E-N-S.com.au. You put the forward slash in the word free. They can download a free course where they can test this out for themselves. They'll find out where the eyes move when somebody is sourcing information. So they can use that as the beginning of being able to detect whether somebody's telling the truth. As I say, the beginning of it. It also looks at a couple of uh, facial features that will tell you about that person's personality and therefore how to talk to that person. And there are examples where I've been on stage working with two different business coaches at two different events, and I've taken those, those events and put them into small segments. It's a 28-minute uh, uh, course, 14 modules, longest uh, modules five minutes, and the shortest modules 28 seconds. And in that, 
If you can't, uh, if you can't put it succinct enough, which is what I do, I make it as, as succinct as I can in as short as possible time. That 28 seconds, I'll be able to go out and look for that trade in people's faces straight away. That's the best I can do for people is give to them first, educate them, check this out. If you like it, come and talk to me. Yeah, yeah. And and in in this discussion now, have you got a couple of easy ones, like whether or not it's somebody looking up or down or left or sideways? Very hard to do over radio, but is that even possible? You could say, well, look, watch out for this or watch out for that. Yeah, well... First thing is, if you're meeting somebody for the first time face-to-face, the height of the eyebrows, you know, the gap between the eyebrows itself and the pupil. Now, again, on this one, we look at an imaginary vertical line through the pupil because everybody's got different shaped eyebrows. Like yours and mine are both horizontal. Other people might go up at an angle or the others might even turn down as they go out. So we want that same measurement point. And we look straight through the pupil, a, a vertical line, Look at the size of the iris, the coloured section of the eye, the opening of the eye, and ask yourself, would that fit into the gap above the eyelash and below the eyebrow or not? Like looking directly at you, we're on Zoom at the moment talking to each other, both yours and mine, our eyebrows are close to our eyes. We're both comfortable standing close to people for the first time. The upside of that trade is we're very comfortable, we're very what they call affable. The downside of the trade is we're affable with the wrong people as well, like the con artists. (laughs) Whereas somebody who's got higher set eyebrows, which is a large gap, when you walk up to them, don't walk straight up to them and stand close to them. Let them have some space because it's the same as fear and surprise. The eyebrows go up in those states. Person moves back, we move back. So person who's got the natural feature where the eyebrows are just naturally high set, then they need a bit more space. So don't invade their space because if you do, they're not going to hear a thing you're saying they're just going to be reacting to all they're going to be feeling is you're in my space, get away, and you're not going to build any trust. Mm. So if I've got someone who's got high set eyebrows and they walk up to me, I'll reach out and shake their hand and leave a gap between us. And, in fact, if I'm walking up to them, I'll stop before they get to me and allow them to fed up, set up the space that they need. Mm. But if I step in, I know that they're going to get uncomfortable, they're going to move, move back. But if it's in a tight quarters, I know they're going to be uncomfortable standing right next to me, like right in front of me. So I'll turn my body slightly so that now there's an escape room. There's an open area out, you know, two shoulders might be close close to each other, but the other shoulders, they're more opened up, there's more space, and that will make them feel more comfortable. That's just one of the facial features. When we're looking at the eyes, people will look up if they are, if it's a visual question, what did it look like or what would it look like? People are going to look up. If it's what it sounds like, they're going to go out to the side. If it's about what's going on in their head, how are they, what are they thinking here and what does it feel like, they're going to look down. How many times have you said to your young children, did you do that? And they go, no, I didn't do that. And their face just, they look straight down towards the ground, you know, down towards their left foot or their right foot. You know straight away they did it. Whereas if they look you straight in the eyes or they look up or they look around, then um, no, but you know, they're probably a they, good chance they're telling the truth, but they're now sourcing more information. One side is to where we remember and the other side is where we um, imagine. So if you ask me how many uh, doors in the uh, windows in the front of my house and I've got to stop and think about it, I'm going to look up and I'll look to one side. If you then ask me, okay, you rip those windows out and you put a big bay window in, you know, a decking and all the rest of it, what would it look like? I'd have to look the other, still up, 
but to the other side to imagine it. Now, whether it's left or right, that depends on the person. So that one is actually in that free course, and that'll give them a bit more information. But it, you use that in idle chit-chat to benchmark somebody, and then when you get into those more involved questions, like we were talking about before, with the uh, the more uh, uh, the five W's and the H, the probing questions and the yes and no answers, the closed questions, that's when all of a sudden, if they're looking in one direction when you're talking about something that's casual, that they know about, that you know about, like to see the football the other day, oh, did you see that tackle? What did you reckon? What did you see there? And if they will look up to and to one side to get it back into their mind's eye, now you know which side is their uh, memory side. Then when you're asking them questions and they you're asking them a visual question, you know, what did you see? And if they look up to the other side, you know they're making the answer up. But you've got to be- benchmark them first. As I say, I won't say which side it is because this is where a lot of people make mistakes. People will say, oh, this side is the one that uh, is where people are uh, remembering. 90% of people fit that, but 10% don't. And therefore, it causes problems. So I always say to people, yes, there's a lot of stuff you'll learn. And as I said before, the most important thing you'll ever learn is the next thing you learn after you think you know everything. But when you're doing that, make sure you test everything. Check it. Understand it. So question it. Everything I've said today, question it. Don't take it on its face value. I was just about to say to listeners, you've you've now got a toolkit already from listening to this interview of mm. some ideas of things to look out for. So I'm sure that'll be uh, very useful for people. And from the business angle, Alan, um, over over the years, was there were there step changes in the business in terms of revenues or the types of clients you were dealing with or broadening of the services that you offered i think you know listeners are very interested in the business journey itself uh, uh, and that would be useful to to hear how you did with with a very specialized uh, service that you've got well when i started the first thing i did was i needed to get my confidence around things you know naomi who taught me the facial features I said to her, look, how am I going to remember all this stuff? And she actually sent me one of her books with the inscription in the front uh, to Alan, the best student I've ever had. And I went, you've got to be kidding. And, uh, you know, it's like anything. You you practice it. I have imposter syndrome. I went through the fact of, well, I was good enough or not. So I thought the safest way to do that was to work one-on-one with people instead of getting out on stage and everything else. I just did a webinar the other day where we had um, 1,000 people sign up for the webinar. And so now I've gone from where I was nervous about talking to two or three people to now, you know, don't give me the microphone. If there's a thousand people, you won't get the microphone back. <laughs> you know, it's all completely changed. So my confidence has gone along. Now, that's one of the traits I have. A narrow faced person is somebody who builds their confidence by doing things over and over. So the more I practice it, the more my confidence has come along. So I started off one on ones. Then I thought, radio, well, the next thing after that, I started doing uh, small workshops and uh, things where I might have had, say, 12 people in a group, and I kept it at that uh, size. Then all of a sudden I had people coming to me and saying, hey, we've got a large group. Can you come and uh, do another webinar for me? So from that one where 1,000 people signed up, I'm now repeating that webinar for another group. Some of the people who turned up for that one, they got me doing a webinar now for them. And these are professional service people. This is one is actually going to be for mortgage brokers. Yeah. And a lot of my courses are now in Australia, professional development programs, like the points they need to get each year to keep their qualifications. 
for uh, real estate agents, mortgage brokers, lawyers, accountants. I've just done some for uh, dentists and I'm about to do uh, some for architects and I'm presently going after school teachers. So the key link there, um, which which it would be really right on the money, Alan, for, um, for uh, listeners at an early stage just starting out, uh, it's something that isn't often admitted to, I don't know why, by men. It seems to be easier uh, for women to admit to this or to talk about it, and that is imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's rubbish. It's equally important in my work as a business coach. I come across people all the time, who some of whom are running sizable businesses that by any um, measurement would call them successful. And yet in their quieter moments, they say, you know, I still... I, I still don't think I'm, I've done anything, haven't achieved anything. And so the business grew with your confidence and vice versa. As your confidence grew, the business grew. And I, I think that's a, a really key link that you've made there. For those who might, you know, you just described who are running large organisations, et cetera, and they've got imposter syndrome, I had a look at that and I rephrased it. I had a look at it and went, okay, what does imposter syndrome mean? What, who are the people who are getting it? The people who care, the ones who really want to make sure that their clients get the best service, mm. people who don't care, who think they're great, that they, they, you know, they're perfect at everything they do, the narcissists and everything else, they don't get imposter syndrome. So people who don't care don't get it. So if you are getting it, the first thing is to stop and look at yourself. Instead of going, oh, I'm not good enough, go, hey, I really care about people. That's why I've got the imposter syndrome. And if I really care about people, then that's got to be a positive because if I care about the people, I want to really help them and everything else. And therefore I go, okay, the next thing to ask yourself, if people like I do a webinar and people turn up, they're telling me I'm the expert. I don't have to be the absolute expert on everything. I just have to know more than they know. And that's the whole thing. If somebody's got imposter syndrome, ask yourself, do you know more than the people who are coming to you? If they, if they, if you you do, then you know straight away that there shouldn't be any post, imposter syndrome there because you are giving them a service. They are coming to you and they're receiving. So now shift the focus more onto them to be able to give them more in that uh, uh, way to keep compounding on what you're giving them and the imposter syndrome disappears. Like I'm still nervous. I walk out in front of a thousand people and I'm going to be have the you know, what do you call it butterflies in the stomach. And that's, that keeps the humility. That keeps the arrogance out of what I do. So they're good from that point. But then it's like, okay, yeah, butterflies into the corner. You know, get out of the way. Let me go and do what i got to do. And the moment I start talking, everything changes. But I found one of the best ways that I could um, uh, walk out in front of an audience. I did have a business coach who said to me, right, we're going to get you on stage. He said, what music do you want to play? And I said, what for? He says, oh, I want to G the audience up and G you up. And I go, nah. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, just introduce me and I'll show you. So I walked up onto the stage. He shook my hand and he got off the stage, passed me the clicker for the slides. And I went from the one side of the stage, walked slowly across to the other side, looking at everybody, turned around and came back to the middle, was still looking at everybody, looked around, a bit of a pregnant pause. Everyone's sort of staring at me, what's going on? And I just said, would everybody like to know what it is I'm doing, what I did then? And they, they were going, yeah. 
and I just started pulling them out of the audience saying, you like to, you need all the information before you make a decision. You just want the big picture. You over here, you just want the best way to do it and get everybody out of the way and, you know, get, let me get on with it. And I just hit people like that and they've all got their mouths open. I said, right, yeah, that's what I'm here to do is to teach you how to read this. So is everybody here like to walk away with a few skills today? After that, nobody looks out the window anymore at the surf or anything else if they were at the resort and nobody falls asleep. And I've got them. And, you know, even in a full day seminar and we go over time, they still won't let me leave the stage. So it's all, and at that point, once I get into that early stage, as soon as I've done that, when I've walked on stage, butterflies are gone because I'm watching their expressions and I see the fact that I've already amazed them in that uh, couple of, that first instance within the first minute or two. And they want to learn. I go, great. If they want to learn, my job is to teach them. And that's what I'm, why I have a passion to do. And my whole mood changes from that point on. And because I can read their expressions, their body language, I'm getting the feedback all day as to um, uh, how connected they are to it and also be able to pick out which ones in the audience I need to spend a bit more time on. And so how is the, how's the, we're talking over Zoom now, and you mentioned going on stage and we touched on Zoom earlier, but how's the pandemic affected you, Alan, your business in terms of being able to work over Zoom as opposed to being able to be in a room with people? Well, okay, body language. I can't see the feet. I can't see the hands unless I, you raise your hands up into the screen. Uh, there is timing issues with some of the internet connections because, yeah, we first of all, just our NBN networks, our cabling and everything went into overdrive the moment everybody went on Zoom. So or dropouts and things like that. I've had people come up and they've turned their, uh, speak, their, their videos off, but they just had a picture. Well, tough luck. So I can see your picture. I've got your personality. So straight away I've got that so I know how to speak to them and everything goes. They've got the camera on. There may be some delays. I may not be able to pick up the micro expressions very accurately. But there's 2 million bits of information going on and we only need to take in 134 bits. So I just shift my focus around. I did a workshop for um, uh, a business coach. He had, uh, it was all um, real estate agents. And he's a coach for them. And uh, he said, look, can you do a workshop? And I said, well, how many people are you going to have online? He said, well, on Zoom, we'll have about 25, 30 people. I went, great. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, you introduced me, you got a beautiful introduction. And uh, so then I just started pulling faces off the screen. You know how when you've got a screen, you've got 30 people on screen, how small the faces are. Well, if you're looking at the old um, uh, imperial uh, measurements like an inch, even half an inch, I can still pick up a lot of uh, facial features at that level. So I picked one uh, guy and I said, well, look, you like to get information this way. You like to analyse it. Once you've got it, you just want the best way to do it and get on, you know, get on with it. So he's got more of a physical motive. Let me get get to the action. And I said, but, you know, I guarantee when you talk to some people, they switch off. And then, you know, all the way through, he's nodding and I get them to respond by turning their speakers, their microphones on and talking. He did that. Then um, I yeah, looked around the screen, saw another woman uh, on the other side of the screen. And I said, well, her name was Rosie. And I said, Rosie, I can see that uh, when uh, you're talking to people, this is how you like to receive information. You just want the overview, the least amount of information, et cetera. I was talking about that and I said, and by the way, if you were ever talking to the guy's name was Craig, I said, if you were ever talking to Craig, I guarantee this would happen. And before I could say any more, he got up out of his chair and I thought, oh, he's walking out, something's wrong here. No, they're in the same office. He's walked around and got behind her on the camera. 
on her screen with a lot of laughter. And I, I said, well, look, when you're talking to Craig, he's going to give you far too much information. This is what's going to happen. And she goes, oh, my God, yes, he does my head in. <laughs> so, again, a lot of laughter. So it just shows that even on Zoom, you can pick up so much. Yeah. Even to the point, yeah, you've got somebody on the phone. You can now pick up in the tone of voice what's going on. I can tell you whether a person is sitting down or standing up when they're on the phone, especially in the conversation, depending on where it's going. I can tell you whether they're, going to, they're really connected to this or they're really getting fearful. Again, the tone of voice, things will shift. Body language will transfer into the tone of voice. So if they're standing up, you try laying, sitting back in a very comfortable position with your feet up and try laying the law down with somebody. It just doesn't have any power. And it's like we know when we, you know, we're aggressive with somebody, when we're angry, we'll come forward. We'll stand up more erect. Our head will come forward. The whole body language shifts and the tone of voice, our breathing, everything changes. So even on the phone, we can pick things up. Mm-hmm. It's a smorgasbord. Yeah, fascinating. And, and looking forward, Alan, if I, you and I would have another chat in three years, five years' time, uh, where would you like your business to be? If it all went according to plan and I said, look, think about I'd love it if, what would it look like? Well, one of the things that I've created outside of my business is a group called the Campfire Project, which is a safe place originally for men to be able to come along and tell their stories because I knew a lot of men in business. As you said before, they don't talk. There's all ex- expectations on them. They don't know their role in the family because we thought it was to go out and provide for the family and next thing you know we're in trouble because we're emotionally disconnected and we're physically absent. In the workplace, all this agenda stuff that's gone on, it's actually caused a great division because we've had to be so careful about what we say that then we make mistakes when we're talking and that frustration turns into anger and in some cases turns into violence, bullying in the workplace, domestic violence. So I thought a safe place for men to be able to come and have those chats would help them to work through that. But I brought women into that as well. So it's now become a global uh, group of both men and women having uh, what we call uh, respectful conversations. No bigotry, no sexism, no racism. And in three years, 400 hours of video um, uh, discussions, not once has anybody been rude to anybody else. So where I want to see my business going is that's my spiritual journey. That's my passion project. And I've got my business over here. Both are based on relationships. So what I want to do is to bring those so closely together and help business people, in that, especially men, in that role to become a man, not the man, not trying to be the corporate director in charge of everybody, but how to become a human being who actually commands more respect through the way that they become a man and not trying to be competitive and being the man and teaching women to do the same thing because we've got a lot of women now who are trying to be the woman they're competing with the men. What a waste of time. They're throwing away all their, their power by trying to compete with us. They're, they're complementary. They they're trying to be the same. And I say, stop trying to be the same. Be complementary because what you're doing is creating a stronger um, uh, a community within the workplace. Bring your skills in and complement what the men bring in. And the men change your attitude and become a man, become a leader and uh, grow a better community, not only outside, but also in the business world as well. So I want to see my business go into that. I want those people I'm creating, where I'm creating my competition, I want them to be of that like mind. So that expands. So I can see that the um, rapid trait profiling or the science and art of uh, reading people, which is becoming very quickly, 
as being the foundation, not looking for therapy and looking for psychologists. Yes, we'll always have those needs for those, but let's get in at the beginning and work on the causes of the problems before we have so many symptoms that we don't know what to do with. And so that's where I see my business going. It's just my spiritual journey and my work life just becoming one. Yeah, and and I think that, that's, insp- that that, that's inspirational, but I'm sure for many um, uh, of the listeners who may well have a, a passion project or something they do uh, that's purely for the love of it, um, and which they don't necessarily, they haven't necessarily made a business out of it, but it, ideally, if they can be connected in the way you're doing, it's very powerful. And what what an amazing legacy, Alan, that you're you're leaving with that community. Hats off to you. Yeah, well, my youngest student at the moment is my 13-year-old granddaughter. She did my master program. She started when she was 11. She's now uh, become my uh, business partner on a couple of projects. And, yeah, I bow to the 13-year-old uh, in her because... Most of the stuff I was sharing with people, I started talking a bit too technical. And as they say, we're finding out now, as I say, I've got barristers and uh, lawyers and that using my courses. And now I've rewritten my master manual with her help. We're going to find out if they're, they're as smart as a 13-year-old. Mm, mm. <laughs> and and uh, also the technical like point about technicality, that the, whether you call it eight-year-old language or 80-year-old language, yeah. when when... Uh, people are experts in their field. Um, there are certain assumptions that are made, and it, they really bring it down, don't they, to make uh, keep us honest in terms of making sure our language is really simple and easy to understand, which is not always Absolutely. easy. Because hmm. uh, one of the things is in part of our uh, attitude to try and be recognised and everything else, we try and upscale that to the point that, People don't understand us, and probably we don't even understand ourselves either. We're trying to use language that impresses. I just I tell everybody, look, I'll dumb everything down as much as I possibly can so that I can, when I'm talking to you, this is so I understand it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, throw the ego out. You don't need, when you've got ego, you're worried about what everybody else thinks. You're trying, you're in competition. It's a lonely place. But when you realize that, hey, I've got, uh, you know, foibles in my city. There's a lot of warts that I've got, a lot of scars, but being able to recognise they are who have made me who I am today. So a lot of the mistakes I've made in life, they were necessary. So I don't have any regrets about those. I might have some regrets about some of the decisions I made, but I don't regret any of them to the extent that who I am today. I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't done all that. So I don't have to be perfect. And if I don't have to be perfect, Nobody else has to be perfect either, which takes the pressure off them, which means we can then have better conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what business people need to realise. If you're running the organisation, if, you if you're a true business person, you will have hired people who can do the things that you can't do or don't want to do, do it better than you can so that you can go on holidays and not only will a company run while you're on holidays, it will actually grow in your absence then you know that you're a business person. Until then, you've just got a job. You're probably the least paid person in the organisation. And at the same time, you're working in the business. And what's the catch cry today? You've got to work on your business. Well, you can't do that unless you've got people in the business who want to work in the business. So build your relationship with your staff to the point that you can go on holidays and they will, with all integrity, grow that business in your absence. 
Yeah, and and that concept of of what is leadership and true leadership, and I remember from an earlier conversation we had, Alan, when I said, well, this one of the things that's all in vogue at the moment, as well as working on your business, is the concept of the servant leadership and mm. leader. And you said, no, no, I much prefer the serving leader. Yeah. And uh, you know, I learned from that, and that's been a very useful learning. And I think for listeners as well, serving the staff, the managers, the people you hire around you to get you out of the business is a, is a really key thing. Now, I, as regular listeners will know, um, I stole Steve Jobs's mantra of stay hungry, stay foolish to stay hungry. And I've adapted it, stay hungry, stay learning. So I think to wrap up, I think we'll be really helpful for listeners if Alan you shared one or two learnings from a business angle um, rather than the science and art of of, uh, reading facial expression and so on that you've learned that might be useful for people to take on board for their own businesses. I think just in business on itself one of the things I learned a long time ago there's an old saying that uh, an Arabic an Arab saying that was um, trust everybody but lock up your camels at night. And so my, I interpreted that as being have an open mind, learn from everything, take everything in, but test it out and make sure that it's um, you fully understand it, that be um, open to everybody, to the conversations and hearing from everybody and learning from them, but then use your own counsel to determine whether that works for you. Is that person telling me the truth to start with? Do they really know what they're talking about? Because there's a lot of marketers out there who are brilliant at their marketing. They talk about, you know, training six-figure uh, staff and all the rest of it or companies. And you know that once you talk to them, they're lucky to be making four or five figures themselves. And so being able to read other people, the most important thing that we have is building relationships. And in building relationships, the most important thing is being able to read people. So I always say to people, learn how to read other people. Do it with an open mind but then test everything. It's like, yes, I use the facial features and look at somebody. I know their personality, but I don't have the arrogance to turn around and go to somebody, oh, I'm seeing this in your face. This is what you do. And sticking by that, I will ask them questions and everything because I will talk to them and I get my feedback from the body language and expressions that give me confirmation that I've read them right. So I'll take everything in and then I'll confirm it and I'll take my own counsel on that confirmation. In business, I've always had coaches. I always will. I'm in my 70th year on the planet now. I turn 70 early next year. And in that, I will have coaches until the day I die because there's always something new that I don't know that I want to learn more about. And so, but when I bring that coach on, I always find the best one. And thankfully, because I can read them, I can pretty much tell from their face whether they're going to be good at what they do or not. And then I'll trust them to that, but I'll always be testing everything that they show me. It has to work for me. So it might be brilliant for somebody else, but will it work for me? Mm. But I won't know it until I've listened to it and I've trialled it. Mm. Turn around and go, oh, what you're talking about, that won't work for me. People who do that are the ones that never grow. Mm. It's a case of tell me about it. Okay, let me think about it. Okay, yes, that will or it won't. That's where I make my decision. Yeah, so we're very much aligned around stay hungry, stay learning, always be learning. See, is uh, your philosophy as well? So, although we covered it earlier in the show, just to, just to finish off with Adam, would you please share your URL 
again slowly for listeners if they want to contact you and find out more. Okay, as I said, it's my name, Alan, A-L-A-N, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, so alanstevens.com and .au for Australia. And if they want to uh, check out that free course, after that web address, after the AU, the .au, forward slash and the word free, F-R-E-E, and they'll be able to download the um, the free course and have a play with that and see what they think of it. And if they like that, you know, get in touch and we'll have a chat. Fantastic. Well, and it's been fascinating uh, chatting with you. Thank you so much again for agreeing to come on my show. And I look forward to chatting again in the future. Oh, same here. We've had a great uh, conversation where we first met each other in a, uh, another presentation on a panel. We had a great chat after that, and I can see there's going to be a lot more of them into the future. Indeed there are. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, that about wraps things up. I do hope that you've taken away some useful learnings for your own business. If you have a question or comment, please call 01342 or send me an email at lovebusiness at If you'd like to listen to this show again, visit the Listen page on meridianfm.com. You'll also find the link on the radio show page of my website, alanwick.com. I'm proud to say that my show is sponsored by Magus Wealth. If you're planning on selling your business, Magus Wealth can guide you through the process, helping you to understand how much your business is worth. They'll give you access to their trusted partners to ensure that every aspect of getting your business ready for sale is covered. Get in touch with Magus Wealth. It starts with a conversation. Thank you for listening. Do tune in again at the same time, 2pm every Sunday, when I'll be interviewing another interesting entrepreneur. And remember, stay hungry, stay learning. Love Business with Alan Wick.